You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It was the manhunt that gripped the country. And tonight, RCMP are releasing new details in the northern BC murders involving Briar Schmigalski and Cam McLeod. And while the public will never know why this tragedy happened, we did learn that the killing spree could have been so much worse. Here's Sarah McDonald. Three innocent victims and two cold-blooded killers, all of them shot to death, with potentially more murders narrowly avoided. Eleven weeks after the murderous spree of the country's most notorious teenage killers first started, investigators are finally revealing critical answers to long-lingering questions. Where did two teenagers get firearms. We now know Cam McLeod purchasing a semi-automatic rifle at this Nanaimo business the day he and Briar Schmigalski departed Port Alberni. One of two firearms, including one of unknown origin, used to kill China Deese, Lucas Fowler and Leonard Dick, and then themselves. We're satisfied that there are no other victims. Uh, it is chilling. The suspects recording six videos, including a suicide pact on a device belonging to their third victim, Leonard Dick. McLeod shooting and killing Schmigelski before turning the gun on himself. Both men admitting to all three murders and professing their intentions to commit more before finding themselves stranded in the unforgiving elements of rural Manitoba where they died. On one side, they had a very fast moving river and to their backs they had a very steep embankment shaving themselves as they prepared to die unremorseful and unrepentant in their chilling recorded admissions according to investigators they were cold they were remorseless um, matter of fact. But still, major questions remain. What was their motive and why their chosen targets? Investigators still don't know, revealing none of the victims were sexually assaulted, though withholding that video footage to avoid satisfying one possible final aspiration of two young men with few of them. Do you think notoriety might have been the motive? And that's one of the reasons why we just don't know. Tangible evidence connecting the crime scenes and the killers also unveiled, including a jerry can cap, a backpack, gloves, ammunition and identification, and possessions belonging to Dick, including his charred vehicle, which his killers disguised with electrical tape found near the bodies. I don't know if this was just a Thelma Lee's incident, right? We don't know. Investigators finally revealing Friday they too may never know either. Two young killers leaving not just death and devastation in their wake, but a gaping abyss of painful unknowns. And Sarah McDonald is live outside RCMP headquarters. Sarah, this report answered a lot of questions, but there are still many questions, really important ones that remain. So is this the end of the investigation? Well, Chris, as you said, still so many more questions than closure in this case, and especially for the families of the victims here. We learned and confirmed today what we had expected, and that is that there will be no murder charges ever filed in the deaths of China Deese and Lucas Fowler. And obviously, as you might imagine, no convictions in any of those murders. Chris, investigators telling us today that Schmigelski and McLeod likely took their motive, whatever that was, and the final moments of their victims with them to their graves. All right, Sarah McDonald reporting from Surrey. Thank you, Sarah.
Well, hundreds of thousands of protesters, many of them students, took part in climate action rallies right across Canada and around the world today. Here at home, a number of protests in Metro Vancouver, including this one that began at Vancouver City Hall this afternoon. An estimated 100,000 people gathered to march through the streets and into downtown Vancouver. Now, the disruption sends a message to politicians at all levels, with the climate strike movement gaining momentum inspired by Fridays for Future, started by Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg. Aaron MacArthur has more on today's day of action and what protesters are hoping to achieve. Youth, seniors, parents, babies, all marching together, asking for change. 80,000 people packed Camby Street. The crowd, so enormous, it was hard to put into context. I think it's pretty amazing that all these teenagers are just showing up and showing their support for climate change. It gives you hope. Change is possible. The young people are going to make it happen. Around the world, Friday for the Future drew crowds from New Zealand to Italy and Canada. The protest organized by teenagers, spurred on by Greta Thunberg. The climate strike struck a chord. People want this to mean something. I mean, I want my future to be like around, so fighting for it. Older generation has causes and now younger generation has to fix this. And we have to deal with the consequences of what the older generation has caused. Like everyone around here is like knowledgeable about this and that they can like take it in a positive way and maybe change the way they live. Yeah, to make the earth better. Politicians marched too. The Prime Minister in Montreal with Elizabeth May, Jugmeet Singh in Victoria. The marchers don't want political support. They want political action. I just hope that this serves a purpose and this makes a difference and it, people actually do something about this. In Vancouver, the crowd staged die-ins, hoisted placards, demanded chain. The federal election is less than a month away. Most of these kids can't vote, but they want those who can to hear them. really was quite a sight. Aaron, uh, we see the crowd has thinned out considerably now. What's next in this fight? Well, don't think that this is a one-off. Organizers said today, before the rain started to come down and everyone left, said today there will be another Friday for the future after the federal election, no matter what the outcome. And they plan to keep this going. And I think as long as Greta is willing to keep this going in Sweden, her followers and everyone around the world willing to keep it going too. She certainly so. seems to be able to, to continue going on. All right, Aaron MacArthur in downtown Vancouver. Aaron. Just a couple of days ago, the most recent United Nations report on climate change came out. This one focused on the impact of climate change on our oceans. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with some of the findings. Christy. Chris, this report shows that billions of people around the world will be profoundly impacted and entire ecosystems are at risk. Now, the science that Greta Thunberg uh, refers to uh, is produced by more than 100 leading scientists from around the world. Here's what it says. Uh, the oceans are taking up more than 90% of the excess heat our climate has experienced. And the rate at which it is warming is more than doubled since 1990. 
1993. In addition, the top layer has increased in acidity and lost 1 to 3% of the oxygen. The uh, ocean productivity is deteriorating rapidly. And from a weather perspective, the warm water is having a huge impact on the patterns that we're seeing. Tropical cyclones are now more intense. El Nino and La Nina events could become more extreme. And anomalies like the blob, the warm water off our coast, which has caused the weather that we saw this September with more frequent uh, uh, rainstorms, that is becoming more or will become more frequent. But the report also highlights the record loss of glaciers and sea ice. This is altering the ocean's current and it's accelerating the rise in sea level two and a half times faster than before 1990. And the impact on those living in coastal zones, especially here in Canada, uh, home to the longest coastline in all of the world. It is amazing to consider what the impacts will be uh, in the immediate future and in the long-term future. Thanks very much for that rundown, Christy. Well, day three of the double murder trial of Rocky Rambo Waynem Kem, the man accused of killing a Vancouver couple in their home in 2017. As Rumina Dea reports, today court heard from the former lead investigator with the forensic unit who testified about key clues found at the crime scene. A warning, some of the details in this story are disturbing. What was the motive? Vancouver Police Constable Kathy Hill told the court there were no apparent signs of forced entry at the front or rear of the victim's home. Diana Ma Jones still wearing a ring and watch when her autopsy was conducted. Several TVs, another watch, jewelry, two laptops, all of the items still in the victim's house after the killings, Hill testified. The bodies of Ma Jones and her husband, Richard Jones, discovered in the bathroom stall of their house September 2017. Based on the lack of missing property, said Hill, robbery didn't appear to be the motive. Crown's theory, the motive was murder. Daniel Mulligan says the hatchet, gardening gloves and baseball hat purchased at Canadian Tire were bought with intent to kill someone. But there's no relationship between the accused and the victims. Rocky Rambo Wayne Nam Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. We don't know how or where, but police obtained the suspect's DNA from a Perrier bottle and an Advil pill bottle. Cam was arrested about six weeks after the bodies were discovered. Romina Dea, Global News. Vancouver police have made another arrest in connection with a series of shootings on the downtown east side. 29-year-old Joseph Bassett of no fixed address has now been charged with two counts of attempted murder and multiple weapons offenses. Last Sunday, shots were fired near East Pender and Abbott Streets around 6 p.m., injuring two people. It was one of three shootings in the downtown east side over a 15-hour period. Bassett's arrest comes just days after VPD arrested 26-year-old Joseph Brown and 31-year-old Desiree Cardinal for a shooting near the Grand Union Hotel on September 23rd. A third shooting, which occurred near Hastings Street and Dunleavy Avenue on September 22nd, is still under investigation. More frustration tonight over ICBC's new rate structure. Excitement quickly changing to shock and disappointment for another new driver who bought her own car only to find out the insurance on it would be more than what she paid for it. John Hua has more on why a growing number of young families fear young people are being unfairly penalized. The price was right. The condition pristine. 
There was little doubt Tammy Nelson's daughter had found her perfect first car. She was looking for a Volkswagen Rabbit. But ensuring the 2007 VW hatchback under ICBC's new rate structure turned this dream into heartbreak. She was tearing up, but it wasn't, it was just the shock. I mean, we were just, we couldn't believe how much the price was. When it comes to calculating her insurance premiums, Emily Nelson can no longer use her two years learner's experience because they no longer count under the new rate structure. And despite having a driving distance of under 15 kilometers for school and work, she still has to pay $5,921. The cost of this vehicle, 5,000 plus tax. She's basically working to pay for that bill alone. Nelson among many wondering how new drivers are supposed to get any experience when they can't afford to be on the road. Add in being a full-time student paying for school, the car and gas, the massive cost of insurance is crushing. What we're doing with the insurance system is we're rebalancing. And that rebalancing means that some people are paying a little bit more. ICBC's message is good drivers pay less and bad drivers pay more. Typically they're going to be you know, drivers with a lot of driving experience and they're going to be drivers with a really good crash history. But some claim to be paying more despite perfect 20 plus year driving records. I don't think it's fair and I, and I think yes we have been lied to. And while Nelson's insurance through ICBC is close to six grand, a quote for the same coverage in Calgary comes back at 3,651 bucks. British Columbians are paying too much for insurance right now and our government is committed to get those rates down. This mom says making things worse before it gets better was never part of the deal when it comes to dousing the ICBC dumpster fire. John Hua, Global News. Right now though, is this a sign of things to come? BC Finance Minister Carol James putting ministers on notice that it's time to tighten the belt. James is asking the ministers to examine their discretionary spending and look for savings. Richard Zussman explains why and what it could mean long-term for the province. An unknown future for Brexit, a fractious relationship between the United States and China. They seem far away, but they are impacting British Columbia. I've asked ministers to take a look at their budgets in discretionary spending. So that's things like office expenses, staff travel, office equipment, and make sure that they're looking for any kind of savings. The mandatory cut in discretionary spending is the first measure of its kind from this NDP government. Although BC has the strongest economy in the country, it's looking to find $300 million in savings. Ministers also looking to cut down on outside contracts and use existing offices rather than rent space for meetings. So say to ministries that their travel budgets and their contracting budgets should be looked at more carefully, I think is a prudent thing to do. The government says there will not be any programs cut for British Columbians, and they still promise a surplus budget in 2020. But the BC Liberals are calling foul. The BC Liberals left the NDP with $2.7 billion in the bank and somehow they've piddled it all away. And the opposition is warning, if cutting discretionary spending doesn't work, we're all going to have to pay for it. Their spending is out of control and they're now going to look to us to raise taxes. The government insists there are no immediate plans to raise taxes, but something will have to give considering the economic pressures. Concerns that an ICBC legal challenge will hurt the province expecting the courts to rule that its decision to restrict expert reports in settlement cases is unconstitutional, a potential $400 million blow to the provincial budget. There are a number of risks still to our economic uh, situation here in BC and across the globe, uh, things like ICBC. 
And with the government tightening the bootstraps now, it may mean in the near future buckling in for a bumpy economic ride. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. After being barred from the Pride Parade, the Vancouver Public Library has announced a new policy for booking its rooms and facilities. In January, the library faced criticism from the LGBTQ community for allowing an appearance by controversial speaker Megan Murphy at its main branch. That prompted Pride organizers to ban the library from participating in the parade. The library says it has now clarified its policy. It says it will not block speakers even those deemed offensive unless they violate the criminal code or human rights code. We believe that this risk assessment process will be the appropriate level of effort to prevent hate speech from happening in the library. Now, the library won't say if Megan Murphy would be allowed as a speaker under its new policy. The Vancouver Pride Society says it will review the library policy before commenting. Well, as we mentioned earlier, three of the four major party leaders spent part of today marching with climate protesters. Conspicuously absent, though, was Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, although he was in B.C. making an announcement of interest to Metro Vancouverites. Scheer promising that a Conservative government will prioritize infrastructure projects that shorten commute times. One of those projects is the Massey Tunnel replacement. Scheer also says he would scrap the Liberals' infrastructure bank, which he says has only caused delays and red tape. Now, on this day of global climate action, an international team of scientists led by a BC Institute is working towards an ambitious goal, negative emissions, pulling more greenhouse gases from the atmosphere than are actually emitted. As Kylie Stanton reports, one of their revolutionary ideas involves taking carbon dioxide out of the air and turning it into rock on the ocean floor. That's me, Mr. Emissions. You might also know me as CO2. It's over the top and dramatic. These days I'm everywhere, messing with the weather, mucking up the oceans. But this video is meant to make a point. Changing the climate. The threat is very real. We have to get to net zero, decreasing the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere because we haven't been able to decrease our emissions rapidly enough. A team of international researchers now have $1.5 million in funding in place and a plan that could become a major tool in combating climate change. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to pull CO2 out of the atmosphere. We're then going to take it and pump it down through the water column into the subsea floor, where in a short amount of time, it becomes rock. The project, known as Solid Carbon, aims to combine state-of-the-art technologies to help reach negative emissions targets. These are actual rock samples. It's been done before. Scientists in Iceland have been successful, capturing the CO2, dissolving it in water and pumping it into basalt rock on land. This project builds on that idea, instead utilizing the oceans, where 90% of the Earth's basalt resides, making the technology ideal on a global scale. So it wouldn't be something that would be exclusive to one location, the one country, right? It would be a technology that could be used around the world. It's being called highly ambitious. And while the science is solid, there are many challenges to overcome in order to make the process cost-effective. Still, the team 
team remains optimistic. We hope that it will be an industry that will grow here and it possibly could make British Columbia the hub for this particular negative emission technology. It's not the only technology, but potentially part of a larger solution that will help reverse the effects of climate change before it's too late. Don't put me back! No! No! Kelly Stanton, Global News, Victoria. How do you feel about that? I feel like uh, I accomplished my mission. The 26-year-old man accused of killing 10 people with a van in Toronto matter-of-factly tells police that he had accomplished his mission. That is just one part of the chilling video released today of Alex Manassian's interrogation by police only a few hours after the deadly rampage. I go rent the van and then I uh, drive it, take it downtown to Toronto. Okay. And I just start using it as a weapon. Alec Manassian, accused of Toronto's deadly Young Street van attack, wearing a white prison jumpsuit, sits in the corner of an interrogation room and carefully describes in detail one of the most horrific days in the city's history. The planning began a month earlier. I was at Seneca College and I decided to uh, phone Ryder and uh, book a, either a truck or a van. In the library of a Toronto-area college where Manassian had just completed a four-year software development program, he says he rented a 10-foot van. Because it would be uh, large enough to uh, inflict uh, severe damage. The morning of April 23, 2018 began like any other for Manassian around 7 a.m. I have breakfast, I brush, mm -hmm. uh, nothing unusual. I just took the van and uh, brought it out to Toronto and, uh, and then I committed the, this rebellious act. I'm thinking that this is it, this is the day of retribution. It was a warm sunny spring afternoon when Alec Manassian arrived on Young Street, an area he says he knew would be packed with people and it was. Shortly before 1.30 he says he pulled his van up to an intersection and stopped at a red light. He waited for it to turn green. And then as soon as I saw there were uh, pedestrians, mm -hmm. I just decided to uh, go for it. Okay. I uh, floor the pedal, yeah. I speed the van towards them, and I uh, allow the van to uh, collide with them. Seven minutes of terror <laughs> along a lengthy stretch of North York, and then the van came to a stop. Actually, to be honest, the only reason I stopped my attack was because someone's drink got splashed on my uh, windshield and I was worried that I would uh, crash the van anyways. Then an exchange with Toronto Police Constable Ken Lamb captured on iPhone video. I see a patrol car pull over and I hear the cops screaming at me to get out. So I get out and I uh, point my wallet at the cop in it with the intent for it to be confused at the gun so that I could be fatally shot. Manassian was handcuffed and arrested. Not the usual everyday experience. Ten people died, 16 were injured. I think it's important to ask how you feel about that. I feel like uh, I accomplished my mission. Scientists have released amazing images of a massive black hole ripping apart a star, a NASA satellite captures a star some 375 million light years away, spiraling into the gravitational pull of the black hole, where it breaks apart into a massive stream of gas. While the tail of the gas stream escapes out into space, the rest swirls around the black hole. 
NASA says the star was roughly the same size as our sun. Researchers are hoping the video will help astronomers better understand the behavior of black holes. In Health Matters tonight, a major new study of a quarter million people has found that being optimistic will improve your health and extend your life. Makes sense, doesn't it? American researchers found that people who make a deliberate choice to stay positive, even in the face of life's most challenging trials, have a lower risk of heart attack, stroke, and early death. When you looked at optimists versus pessimists in this study, the optimists had a 35% lower risk of having any major cardiac complication. We're talking here about cardiac death, heart attack, or a stroke. So these are major complications. The power of positive thinking. The study's authors say the level of optimism matters as well. The more optimistic you are, the healthier you'll be. A nine-year-old girl stole the show today during Paris Fashion Week. Daisy Mae Dimitri made history today, becoming the first double amputee child to walk the runway. Lulu Ejiji is a designer of fashion for kids and teens. Daisy lost her legs at 18 months due to a birth defect. She walked on the runway on carbon blades. <laughs> Good me. for her. Absolutely beautiful. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A sign of the times in Maryland, perhaps, opening today the first gas station in North America to completely transition away from gas to be an all electric charging station. Charging an average electric car takes about half an hour, but there is a comfy lounge inside where you can wait. The fill up costs about $10 Canadian. Significantly cheaper. <laughs> That's right. Another example of the future of travel is in Vancouver tonight. A cruise ship docked at Canada Place. It's turning heads not just because of its size, but because of how it gets around. Jennifer Palma has the planet-friendly details. It's a one-of-a-kind ship, and this is its first time in Vancouver. The MS Roald Amundsen, owned by Herta Gruten, is making waves with its green technology. No one in the cruise industry, including the largest cruise companies in the world thought this was even a possible thing to implement and here we are today actually introducing it to the world. The ship is a hybrid powered by diesel and batteries reducing fuel consumption and cutting carbon dioxide emissions by 20 percent. Uh, this uh, saves the uh, environment with uh, using uh, electric uh, power to help out the generators so they can run uh, more efficient. Another way Hurtigruten is trying to be green is by powering its ships with biogas made of fish guts. That sounds a little gross, uh, but we take waste from the fishing industry um, that would have otherwise been thrown away, uh, and we use that to actually power the ship. The green wave continues on board. The ship is designed to be small, only carrying 530 passengers, and single-use plastics are banned. There are also water bottle filling stations. Relax, have a book. The cruise ship industry is considered by some to be very hard on the environment. The Vancouver Fraser Port Authority is also trying to encourage environmentally friendly actions by offering shore power and lower port fees to green vessels. When we welcome vessels such as the Roald Admitson to Vancouver, it's a great testament to the work that not only the industry is doing, but what we're doing um, to be able to work together. We believe that the entire cruise industry should have already banned heavy fuel oil. There's no reason why they shouldn't. The only reason they ha haven't is because of the cost implications, but we have a higher priority and that's making sure the environment's there. The cruise ship industry brings BC $1.6 billion a year. Now the challenge is to see if cruise companies can get on board with green tech 
to keep powering our economy and protecting our environment. Jennifer Palma, Global News. After the forecast, why this part of Prince Harry's official visit to Africa brought back vivid memories of his mother, Princess Diana. Right now, though, we're going to check in with Christy and a look at the weather forecast heading into the weekend. And let's hope we get some more sunshine, Christy. We do have more sunshine in store for everyone, but it's a little soaking wet out there right now. And I have to tell you, it was a stark difference from when I was down at the climate strike earlier. The sun was shining and it was almost hot out, but uh, quickly a band of rain pushed in. Let's have a look at that band. It made its way across Vancouver Island and really picked up steam. In fact, a number of lightning strikes, as you can see here, shifting to the south now, but it did mean for quite a hailstorm in parts of Vancouver Island, Duncan getting hammered, almost looking like snow. But it wasn't snow. Other parts of the province saw snow. This is Whistler. Uh, this was just an hour ago, and you can see complete blanket of snow. Beautiful to see that. Really kick things off for the season. And we also saw snow on Allison Pass. Now, it's tough to see right now. It looks like rain, but there is certainly snow on the sides of it. There is uh, reported snow on the connector. You can see it on the sides as well. Uh, we still have the potential. The freezing level is still dropping. So even though the roads look wet right now, do not head out on the roads without wind. Winter tires, everyone. That cold Arctic air is going to shift in. We'll continue to see those freezing levels drop, and we're still expecting snow on the mountain highways right through tomorrow. Now, you can see that tomorrow everything shifts to the far south, so we're still looking at Highway 3 as a problem, and then those southeastern parts of the province, Elk Valley, Cranbrook, Fernie, will be watching those areas. So mainly higher elevations, but a chance in the southeast for snow, and you saw Alberta up to 50 centimeters in Calgary, or uh, away from Calgary, but southwest of there, not too far. Okay, so there's your forecast for your Saturday, everyone. Rain lowered down, snow higher up, sunshine for our area. It looks like the sunshine will be sticking around. I'll tell you, we have not seen a stretch of weather where we've seen four days of sunshine since the beginning of September, everyone. And I'll leave you with this beautiful shot of a storm moving in in Green Lake area. That's from today also. All right. Good capture. Thanks very much, Christy. It was the photo op everyone had been waiting for ever since Prince Harry, Meghan and their son Archie began their official visit to Africa. The Duke of Sussex following in the footsteps of his late mother, Princess Diana, who walked through an active minefield in Angola 22 years ago. It helped lead to a global ban on the deadly weapons. Harry actually had to walk through a different active minefield today because the one his mother visited has been cleared and reclaimed and is now a bustling street. It has been quite emotional retracing my mother's steps along this street 22 years on and to see the transformation that has taken place from an unsafe and desolate area into a vibrant community of local businesses and colleges. It is amazing that there are still landmines in the ground in, in many countries, including that one. Nice work. All right. For him, good to see Barry. Yes, good to be back. Uh, here we have Barry in for Squire talking about the Canucks and uh, on the verge again, the season starts. Uh, yeah, they start next Wednesday in Edmonton, but uh, a lot of practice time in between then. The Green does have to get down to his final roster, uh, not until next Tuesday. So with injuries to Brock Besser right now and Oscar Fantenberg, he'll likely wait until then to make those uh, final tough decisions. The Canucks did send Zach McEwen and Jalen Chatfield to Utica today and put goalie Richard Bachman and journeyman Tyler Grayevac on waivers, but... 
the real tough decisions won't come for a few more days. Meanwhile, the Winnipeg Jets have come to terms on a two-year deal with restricted free agent Patrick Lyonnais. It's a two-year deal worth $13.5 million. Lyonnais had 30 goals last year, 110 in his first three NHL seasons. The short-term deal means the Jets will have a chance to sign Lyonnais to a long-term deal before he's eligible for unrestricted free agency four years from now. Vancouver Giants will have star defenseman Bowen Byram in the lineup tonight at the Langley Event Center for their home opener against Portland. Byram was sent back to the Giants from the Colorado Avalanche just yesterday. He was the fourth overall pick in last year's draft and he will be the key player if the Giants hope to win the Western Hockey League championship this year and they are certainly one of the favorites. Last night at the LEC, Team Canada did what they were expected to do. That's easily handle England in the semifinals of the World Indoor Lacrosse Championship. Canada hasn't been challenged at all in this tournament. They're a perfect 6-0 after demolishing the English 21-4. Canada goes for a fifth straight world title tomorrow night at 8 against Iroquois Nation, which are American and Canadian players of First Nations heritage. Canada beat Iroquois Nation 19-12 earlier in the tournament, and that is the closest any one has come to Canada. Well, there were high hopes for the Lions entering this season, but we know how that turned out. The uh, bright spots have been very few and far between. Brian Burnham's had a great year, and so has Coquitlam's Lamar Durant, who's had a very successful return home. Short drop, quick hitter, Lamar Durant bounces off. He'll be tough to catch. Touchdowns in his first four games, and it's touchdown number five. Lamar Durant is having a breakout season, and that was exactly the plan when he signed as a free agent with the Lions last winter. After spending the first four years of his CFL career in Calgary as a backup, Durant has caught and ran with the ball in his first chance as a starter. The whole time I was in Calgary, I was feeling like I could have done more. I wanted to do more, and I was capable of doing more. And that's when I talked to BC before the season started, and they're like, we want you here to be a, a star and contribute a lot. So that was what I felt I can do. And they trusted me, and they, uh, they dropped the plays, and I just come out and try to execute them. He's executed better than any other Canadian receiver so far this season. His 51 catches and 702 yards lead all homegrown players. His previous best was 402 yards back in 2016. Now he's got a shot at a 1,000-yard season. Maybe it's all that home cooking. It's nice, you know, it's a big relief in a lot of ways because after practice happens, you just go right back home, you live right here, got family, friends. But then at the same time, it's some pressure because you're playing in front of everybody that you grew up with. They want you to do good. And then I put a lot of pressure on myself too. So if I don't perform well, I'm like, man, I let everybody down. So there's uh, pros and cons of it. Durant was a star player at Centennial High School in Coquitlam. He played quarterback and receiver back then, leading the Centaurs to the provincial title in 2009. But his most vivid memory of that game wasn't exactly warm and fuzzy. I remember that play exactly. I was back in coverage. I was like, oh, I got this. So I went up to intercept it. The guy gave me a subtle tug on the back of my jersey, very subtle, and the ref didn't call it and ended up hitting off my head and he scored. And I was so mad. I'm like, I did this on TV in front of everybody. But luckily enough, I was able to make up for it in the rest of the game and we pulled out the win. It all ended well that day and there's promise there's many more great days ahead for Durant at BC Place. As the year has gone by and as you know the seasons continue moving forward, he's just going to get better and better. He's got a lot of potential that uh, still haven't really even tapped into. 
All right, CFL today, battle of first place clubs, 10 and 3 Hamilton at 9 and 4 Winnipeg. Second quarter, Dane Evans to Speedy B, Brandon Banks for the touchdown, and the Tie Cats lead at 17 7 there in the second quarter. PGA Tour from the Napa Valley, Safeway Open, and it's Tony Romo, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, in the field as an amateur. Shot two under yesterday, so looking to make the cut, but it all unraveled today. He's a very good player, but couldn't overcome the pressure of being so close to playing the weekend. Got on the bogey train, could not get off. Nine bogeys on the day, shot a 78, finished at plus four, missed the cut by six shots, so that means... He'll be in the broadcast booth doing NFL football on Sunday. Oh, well, those guys are good. Bryson DeChambeau, the leader at 12-under after an 8-under 64. BC boys, though, in the hunt. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford tied for third at 9-under. Adam Hadwin tied 15th at minus 6. Roger Sloan at 5-under. Hopefully they will get some TV time this weekend because mm -hmm. they didn't get any today. There you go. All right. Thanks, Barry. Mm -hmm. Coming up on ET Canada, Justin Bieber is busy prepping to walk down the aisle. Plus, Tegan and Sarah go back to high school in their revealing memoir. And we're on the set of Hawaii Five O right before tonight's premiere on Global. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thanks, Cheryl. Well, if you dread sitting next to a crying baby on a long flight, say, to Japan. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's one airline offering some help. That's right. It is. It's going to be a long flight. <laughs> Japan Airlines has introduced a new kind of seat map that shows passengers where they might have a loud seatmate. Who doesn't love a baby? Those chubby little cheeks. So cute. Except maybe in the next seat on an airplane. What is your reaction if you have to sit next to a baby? I, I don't no, love it. You don't. <laughs> I like to sit somewhere else. Japan Airlines has a possible solution. Its booking website lets passengers know where children under two years old will be on a flight before they choose their seats. Watch out for seat 46D. Everyone knows the smile won't last long. Japan Airlines might be feeling a bit of the same guilt parents do when their kids shatter the peace on an otherwise relaxing flight. Some even pass out apologetic goodie bags with earplugs. There was also the time superstar couple George and Amal Clooney handed out fancy noise-canceling headphones when they flew with their twins. Apparently, celebrity children cry too. In the end, the move by Japan Airlines could be a win-win. Passengers don't sit next to screaming kids, and parents might just end up with a row to themselves. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. I'd fly around the world with that last little guy sitting next you to me. You seem happy. Very, very cute. Or the people who doesn't last long forever. Yes, you'd rather have the screaming baby than the stinky feet. I think. Yeah, those are bigger problems than. Than children. And I, yeah. Look, we've, I've flown with children. I'm sure you have too. Nobody feels worse than the parent of the crying child knowing the entire plane is shooting daggers at you. But. Some of my most stressful moments flying yeah. with kids. If yeah. Everyone, well, most people feel badly for the parents. I, I agree. And there have been a lot of people along the way who've been like, hey, it's cool. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. Just be patient. All right. Final word on the weather as we head into a weekend. Yes, it's went out there right now. Believe it or not, though, we're back to sunshine tomorrow. As quickly as it came, it's going to return. Or, 
the other way around. Mm -hmm. You know what I meant. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> as soon as it disappeared, it's coming back. Thank you. Uh, so clearing tomorrow morning, sunshine for the next four days. Nice during the day with 15, 16 degrees, but you'll feel the chill overnight. You'll need to bundle up if you're headed out late or up early. First mini rugby gathering of the year on Sunday. Looking forward to that in the sunshine. Have a great weekend, everybody. Good night, all.